you for this third time over recent years to serve you here at the invitation of your pastor, Tim. I appreciate your pastor so much and good fellowship that we have in private as well as his sharing this opportunity for me to speak to you. It's also my privilege to have served for 37 years in full-time ministry in the West Ohio Conference and then to locate back at the third of the churches that my wife and I, Janet, had served over at your nearby neighboring church in Bethany, where we serve in volunteer roles and do shut-in visitation and other assorted kinds of roles. There was a guest speaker that had spoken at a community charity, and after he had spoken, the organizer of the event handed him an envelope with an honorarium check. The speaker humbly refused that check and said, I, I can't really take this. You have better uses for the money, so just keep this money for one of those uses. The chairman asked him, do you mind if we put it then in our special fund? And the speaker said, of course not, but, but let me ask you, what is that fund for? And with a twisted smile, the chairman answered him, that fund will help us get a better speaker for next year. <laughs> That speaker, that evening, had to eat a great big giant gooey dose of humble pie. And humble pie is very hard to eat. But Paul's Philippian letter encouraged people to be humble. Not just to be humble, but to engage in courageous, humble service. He began, first of all, in his letter to the Philippians by praising their joy and greeting them with great affection and acknowledging their significant growth in faith. But Paul also had discerned that beneath all of these outward things, there was a proud selfishness that he had found within them, and he hit that issue directly. Chapter 1, verse 15, he spoke of envy and rivalry among some of their speakers. In chapter 2, verse 3, he specifically acknowledged their selfish ambition and vain conceit. In verse 4, he said they needed to look to others' interest, not just your own interest, but to others' interest. In verse 14, he acknowledged their complaining or arguing. Doesn't that sound like a current situation for our culture today? Well, in two years of COVID pandemic living, I suspect that it has been easy for us to cut back on caring about the needs and the interest of others and to focus more on ourselves. We've tended to retreat into our home fortresses, to lift up the drawbridges, drop the portcullis, and shut ourselves inside. Some feel that we've been in the habit of cutting off our connections. It's also been easy to cut off conversations and connections with some people with whom we have political disagreements, and we do so partly lest we engage in hot-headed, uncivil disagreements. Have we even, within our culture, begun a disconnect from God? Have we grown to so love our ungodly appetites that we have loved them more than God's will? You may recall the ancient Greek story of the handsome Narcissus. He fell in love with his own reflection when he came across a pool of water, bent over it, and saw in that smooth surface a reflection of himself. And he spent the whole remainder of his life just staring at that image of himself. 
Have we, like Narcissus, fallen in love with self-centeredness and self-centered living? Paul was deeply concerned about the Philippians' self-centeredness. But he knew in his own heart that he dared not just begin by thundering divine judgment down upon them. Instead, he approached them with a positive vision, a positive four-level vision of humble service that fits so well into our theme for today's service and the displays that you'll see after the service. Level number one, he encouraged in them a godly attitude, an attitude adjustment. Has somebody ever told you, you need an attitude adjustment? <laughs> now I'm just looking here to see if there's any elbows going between partners in the pews because so often if we've heard those words, it's probably been from a spouse if we're married. Well, Paul was convinced, though, that attitudes can change. In verse 5, he said, Your attitude or your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We don't have to be super glued to past attitudes. Now, we've all got to admit, we don't like to change our attitudes because changing attitudes is hard. There was a 2016 University of Kansas study, and the conclusion of that study was that we tend to choose friends who will reinforce how we think now rather than exposing ourselves to and choosing friends who will help us to think differently. Isn't that so true of most all of us if we'd admit the truth? Well, it may be hard to change attitudes but Paul knew from his own conversion to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that it was possible to break out of the prison of old attitudes because he had a radical con conversion from his opposition to Christians to becoming a prime proponent of that faith. So Paul's first step was to encourage us to a great reset, a godly mindset change of mind and attitude to become like Christ attitude. Now let's look more at that attitude for the second level that Paul advised. His second level was to encourage people to choose service over status. Choose service over status. His words about Jesus' status were explosive for the Jews. In verse 6, Paul boldly said, Jesus Christ is in his very nature, God. Not similar to God, not, not just an earthly reflection of God, not just an imitation of God. No, in his very nature, Jesus is God, fully divine. To the Jews of his age, schooled in their long traditions, that made Paul a blaspheming devil and deceiver. For them, no human being could be divine. Then Paul added additional dramatic language about Jesus' status in verse 6. He said that Jesus had equality with God, basically saying the same thing in different words. Jesus was not imitation fool's gold. He was really divine. Jesus existed before creation in oneness with God the Father and in oneness with God the Holy Spirit. And then Paul makes a mind-blowing claim about Christ's service, about he who is divine in the service to which he had entered. In Philippians 2, verse 6, 
The Bible says Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It was a real additional shock here to claim that Christ, the Lord, left heaven's glory and honor behind him to enter human nature as what? As a servant. And why was Paul making this point? He was making this point because the self-centered Philippians needed Jesus' attitude to choose service over status. Now today, rather than telling some entertaining, sentimental, and tear-jerking stories to rouse your interest in humble service, which would be entirely legitimate, I felt called to build this service and the sermon here this morning, the service motives, on the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus, the divine Son of God, has humble service embedded in his very DNA nature. And humble service must be embedded in the very nature of every true Christian disciple. Service is not just tasks we do. Service is meant to be who we are in our deepest inward nature. Had not Jesus said in Luke 22, 27, I am among you as one who serves. And God knows within the leadership needs of our nation and international arenas, don't we need a huge additional motivation of humble service to be at the heart of the way that officials act toward one another? During my childhood on the farm, and by the way, I grew up on a farm about 10 miles north of Chal- northwest of Chillicothe, Ohio. And, and there, my, my father was a small far- small-time farmer, a school bus driver, and he was a substitute mail carrier in order to help keep food on the table for eight children and a very large family. Well, during my childhood on that farm, Dad did all of the grocery shopping while Mom stayed home tending eight kids. I love to go with my dad to the grocery store because, to be very honest, I hope that they're at the store, one of the candy bars next to the register would come into my hands, or perhaps on the way home, if I was lucky, we'd stop by a Dairy Queen and I'd get an ice cream cone to enjoy. But one day when we were in the Big Bear grocery store at Central Center there in Chattacothe, my dad pointed out to me Felix Melarengo. I've never forgotten his name because he made a lifelong impression on me. He was the manager of the store and he managed it very well. But we noticed that if there was a vacancy at a cash register or even bagging some of the groceries in those days when they, they were available, Felix would jump right in. He would fill that role, fill that task, all the while showing warm friendliness to his customers. His humility in in choosing service over status stuck in my memory for my whole life. Could Christ be calling us to service over status? That second level of living as Paul advised the Philippians, attitude, and then what specific attitude? The attitude of Christ which is choosing service over status. And then Paul lifted the Philippian service to a level three. He encouraged us to give our lives for others, our very life, not just deeds, but our very life. 
Christ's humble service, you see, claimed his life upon the cross. And the suffering servant that was predicted in today's reading from Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53 in our Old Testament lesson, that beautiful picture hundreds of years before the coming of Christ was fulfilled in Christ's coming, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. Paul summarized that event in Philippians 2.8 when he said, And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Two nights ago, I was so, so stricken by the sight on television of the story of a young mother with five kids in her car who had just crossed from the Ukrainian border into Poland successfully. But in order to pass through that border, she had had to leave behind a husband that was pulled from the car and sent back there into Ukraine because her husband needed to be an enlistee in the resistance army. My heart ached for this traumatized woman at the border, losing the security of her homeland, losing her home, losing their source of income, and now having to leave behind her husband. Have our hearts ever been traumatized or even touched with the drama of Christ crossing the border from heaven to earth, leaving heaven's crown of glory for earth's crown of thorns, leaving heaven's throne to be stuck on a criminal's cross? leaving heaven's perfect purity to become a sin-bearer of every hellish sin of violence, abuse, perversion, and inhumanity on earth. Have you noticed through the years that some atheists will mock the Christian's God, and they will say of the Christian's God that the Christian God is abusive, power-hungry, and a self-centered egomaniac to demand of us our service to him. But I tell you, when I look at the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in what he did in the giving of his life to express his service, his humble service and sacrifice on the cross refutes that atheistic charge as thoroughly as it ever could be refuted. Because God is in Christ, he, the divine one, the Son of the living God, proved the character of God and God's willingness to engage in suffering servanthood. So Paul wanted the Philippians to show that selfless love, to give their lives, if it meant so, to give their very life and blood, but to give the whole of life with their talents, gifts, their time, talent, and their service. In Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In 1998, the bishop appointed me to serve in the Armstrong Chapel United Methodist Church down in Indian Hill. And that was a place where it was kind of hard to find a, a very luxurious home. Huh? <laughs> Some of you know Indian Hill and know that it's one of Ohio's wealthiest regions. It was so interesting while we were there that there was a period where Phil, our teen son, dated the daughter of an executive leader in the very highest rung at Procter & Gamble, just beneath the CEO. Oddly enough, our son, to our surprise, was so confident and so comfortable with aiming high. 
The young lady was a precious girl. She was a great girl. And even after Phil initiated a breakup of that relationship, they remained friends. And when he later got married, she and her fiancé or husband, I forget which at the time, attended Phil's wedding. My wife had been careful to gently instruct our son, Phil, choose carefully the girl that you will marry because she needs to be able to help you lead our grandchildren to Christ. The collegian who eventually captured our son's heart was the confident, capable daughter of a junior high Bible school teacher at a Christian private school in Lexington, Kentucky. Obviously, with his kind of salary, the family income was far less than what he had known in the previous relationship but that capable young lady had a servant's heart. Her first postgraduate job was serving immigrant refugees that were resettling in the Lexington area. And now she and Phil, married for several years, are doing their best with exercising loving our two grandchildren that are in Georgia into the family of God as followers of Christ. Whether God has blessed us with high degrees of wealth and power and prestige and influence or more modest simplicity, Paul challenges every one of us to give our lives in humble service to Christ and to point others to him. As I mentioned, I grew up on a small country farm. My mom had a servant's heart, and that servant's heart and the practicalities of having eight children left her very little time for reading books. I still remember one image that's remained imprinted in my mind about my mom trying to read a book while she was cooking. In one hand, there was a book, and in the other hand, she had a spoon that she was using to stir the pot of whatever she was cooking on the stove. But the intriguing part of that story to me is the order in which she would read her book. Rather than starting at the beginning and read to the end, she would start at final chapters. And the reason was this. If she did not not ever get time to read the opening chapters, she at least knew what the end of the story was going to be. (laughs) Paul shows us the final chapter. That's one beautiful thing that you possess here in the Holy Scriptures is that you know through the Holy Scriptures and the certain hand of the sovereign God what the final story in this universe is going to be. Easter victory, the triumph of God, and the will of God will prevail. It's the end of the story, and it's revealed in Scripture that gives you an insight into the flow of history that the non-believer does not have, and it can give you confidence that we so much need for this day. So Paul shows us the last chapter, the end of the story for Christ's service. And he shows it very well as he engages us with the fourth last chapter of Jesus' service as shown in the theme for this morning. And that fourth final chapter in this particular story is a servant's reward. What reward did Jesus get for bowing his knee to wash disciples' feet? What reward did Jesus get for bowing his head to have thrust upon it the painful crown of thorns prior to his crucifixion? What reward did Jesus get for shouldering the cross 
in more than shouldering their cross, for shouldering the sins and the impact and penalty of them accumulated from every single soul upon planet Earth. He gained heaven's reward, heaven's highest reward for his humble service. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave to him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The highest crown in this universe is worn by the one who is the servant of all and the savior of all who believe. No invading, dictator's ego-driven, blood-shedding, bone-crushing, city-shattering, military power will ever seize heaven's throne. It belongs to Christ. It belongs to Christ alone. The humbled one, the now glorified one, the almighty son of God. And Romans chapter 8, verse 17, promises something wonderful to you and to me. It promises us in a strange little bit of language that God will appoint Christians who humbly serve the Savior. God will appoint them to become joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ. Beautiful language in Paul's writings is that we have the privilege of being in Christ. Christ gives us the glorious privilege of him being in us. As we are in Christ, we become joint heirs with him, co-heirs with him in the glories of heaven as God takes us there and as we're servants of his, because God will also honor us there with that verdict, well done, good and faithful servant. Even now, we don't have to wait all the way to heaven to experience some reality of the end of the story. We get foretastes of that reward here and now. When we treat the least and the last in this world, as the scripture says in Matthew chapter 25, as seeing the face of Christ in the face of those who have these special needs, we begin to share in the servanthood of Christ. When you lead a class of kids to God, and those kids begin to awaken to God, and you see dawning, dawning in them the sunrise of the light of understanding that teachers are blessed to see when kids get it. That light in their eyes says to you, well done, teacher, servant of the children. When you help carry on the ministries of your church and some new seeker in this place who's been aching to find a place of hope, when they lift their head in gratitude for a new start that God has given to them in their life, the light dawning in their eyes with the sunrise of hope says to you, well done, servant of God. With bread given to the hungry, with choir songs lifting hearts to God, with countless offerings that you count that send dollars to mission fields near and far, with the hundreds of tasks that take place in this church, to sustain ministries that meet human needs. The people whose needs you met or meet in the very act of receiving every benefit add to that glorious symphony of voices that declare to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Before a closing poem, let's revisit Paul's four stepping stones of Christ-like service. 
Get a godly attitude or mindset like Christ. Choose service over status like Christ. Give your life for others like Christ. Gain a servant's reward like Christ. The poem, very possibly familiar to you, but still glorious, is Searching for a Vessel. The master was searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf there were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one. I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value to do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, master, gold would be best. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass. It was wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Hear, hear, cried the vessel. I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my contents so dear. Though fragile am I, I will serve you with pride. And I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide. The master came next to a vessel of wood. Polished and carved, it solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said. But I'd rather you use me for fruit, not just for bread. Then the master looked down and saw a vessel of clay. Empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had that vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this vessel, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I'll mend it and use it and make it all mine. I need not the vessel with pride of itself, nor the one that is narrow to sit on the shelf, nor the one who is big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor the one who displays his contents so proud, not the one who thinks he can do all things just right, but this plain earthly vessel filled with my power and might. Then gently he lifted that vessel of clay, mended and cleansed it and filled it that day, spoke to it kindly, there's work you must do. Just pour out to others as I pour into you. He speaks to us kindly. There's work you must do. Just pour out to others as I pour into you. Will you stand and offer yourselves in service to Christ as we sing our closing song, I Surrender All. <clears throat>